0: Thanks so much for joining us. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. If you haven't um, been with us for our series so far, let me just briefly recap. And even if you have been with us, um, it's easy to forget where we're at. So we are going through the Gospel of Matthew from the beginning right till the end. And let me just recap the four weeks that we've gone through so far in uh, the month of April. April. This is a three-month series, so we're a third of the way through the story. And uh, we're really getting into the the juicy parts now. So in the previous uh, weeks, we've looked at, in chapter 1 and 2, the childhood of Jesus. In chapters 3 and 4, we've looked at the ministry of Jesus' beginning. This is when Jesus walks onto the scene and and he announces who he is. Uh, John the Baptist announces who he is. And he faces those temptations by the devil. He then uh, goes and starts proclaiming his core message, which is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapters 5 through 7, we have the famous Sermon on the Mount, the the core teaching of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And then in chapters 8 and 9, we have the healing of Jesus' beginning. And this is what we looked at last week. And if you're following along in our devotional books, that's the... uh, the sections that you would have read through this past week, and you would have seen many stories of Jesus going from town to town, healing different people and meeting with people and, and individuals. And it finishes, actually, I told you to open to Matthew 11, but let's go back to Matthew chapter 9 and, and just look at where we finished last time and where, where the story kind of got up to. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 You've probably felt like this before. Too many jobs to do, uh, too few hands to help. So Jesus is, is looking out and he sees a world where there's a lot to do. There's a lot of people to help. And he himself can't individually go through all of the area and deal with every single person and all of their problems and and show the kingdom to them. So this leads into our next section of the book, which is that Jesus is going to open up his ministry. He's going to get people to actually help him to preach the message that he's preaching. So in, in Matthew chapter 10, we see that he commissions these 12 people to go out and to preach this message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and and what that means and then what we're going to see in Matthew 11 and 12 is we're going to see in fact on our next slide where in Matthew 11 and 12 we're going to see the reactions to Jesus and then in Matthew 13 we're going to see some of the parables so if you're reading in our devotional books Matthew 10 through 13 is the section that we're going to be reading through this week. And it covers this sending out of the 12, the reactions to Jesus, which are mostly negative, and the parables. I want you to just imagine for a second that we, we didn't have any more of the gospel according to Matthew. Imagine that somehow in history we lost Chapter 10 through to chapter 28. And all that we had about Jesus' life was Matthew 1 to 9. What would we think about the character of Jesus? We'd probably conclude that he was a a pretty good guy. He was well-liked by most people. There are only, I think, two people so far that have really um, had an issue with Jesus. We would conclude that his message was fairly well received, that he was a solo preacher. He just went out on his own and, and preached his own message. And then we would be left with a, um, a question mark as to what happens afterwards. Of course, Matthew 10 through 28 is essential to knowing who Jesus actually was because Matthew 10 to 28 is all about the fact that Jesus' life from this point onwards goes outward. It goes to other people and he, he gets other people to help but also he faces rejection. He doesn't go from victory to victory, winning all the popular opinion over to his side. Instead, he loses favour with many people and it really starts in chapter 11 and onwards. What should become clear to you this week, if you're reading through those chapters, is that Matthew is, is making it starkly obvious unmissable if you're if you're reading it that there are two different groups of people that Jesus encounters there are people who reject Jesus and they whether it's something he says or something he does they find fault in it they don't want someone like Jesus coming and telling them how to live and then there are the other there's the other group of people and they are drawn to Jesus they're drawn to his words they're drawn to his life like a, it's like they're magnetised to him. It's like a, a lamp, to a, a moth to a lamp. They are just um, completely drawn in by the things that he's saying and the things that he's doing. And it will become obvious when you're reading through these chapters the differences between these two groups. What makes some people uh, be drawn to Jesus and what makes others reject him and turn the other way. There's a reason why they respond so differently. So as you're reading through this week, I want you to be very uh, diligent in looking out for what that reason is. Why there's such a, a difference between those two groups. So when people start turning against Jesus, when the popular opinion turns the other way... Notice what Jesus does. He doesn't beg with people. He doesn't plead with them. He doesn't grovel on his knees and say, Oh, I didn't mean to say that. You know, I I apologise. I'm sorry for everything I said. He doesn't backtrack and and take back anything that was offensive. Um, Oftentimes you think of modern celebrities or politicians who get themselves into trouble. And they hold a press conference, they apologise for what they did and hopefully that event just passes away and people start liking them again and following them again. Well, Jesus is, is not a modern celebrity and he's not a modern politician. He, he doesn't apologise, he doesn't take back his words, he doesn't um, think that he uh, misspoke when he said those things that people were offended at. He actually doubles down on his words. He actually... Um, really cements himself in to saying, no, I stand for these things, and if you're going to be offended, then so be it. In fact, he says this particularly shocking statement in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. Matthew 11 and verse 25. It says, At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. This is in the context of the previous couple of verses that are talking about all of the cities that have rejected Jesus and his message. And Jesus looks at all of that rejection and he gets out his gratitude journal, so to speak, and he writes down that he is thankful that people have rejected his message. Not because he is grateful that people uh, have this rebellious spirit, but he is grateful that the message isn't just received by these wise and Uh, understanding people, the important religious leaders. This message is being understood by the little children, by the, the meek and the lowly. And it's in this context that Jesus turns to those people, the people who have been drawn to him, the people who have not been outraged by the things that he said, people who accept his authority and are comfortable with him as their teacher. And he offers these Unforgettable words, these words that most Christians can can almost quote at the end of chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden. Or, Or other versions say, come to you, all who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You've heard these words before, you've probably sung these words before, these are familiar, familiar words to us. And we're going to study them this morning, and I want us to study them in context, because often the preacher's curse is, is these words are, are so golden and magical that we just want to rip them out and use them in any lesson, because they just are so beautiful. I'm guilty of doing this, I, I often turn to this passage and and offer it as hope and comfort and peace. In reality, this verse makes a whole lot more sense when you actually see the context around it and what Matthew is telling you about the rest that Jesus offers. So this morning, that's what we're going to be studying. We're going to be looking Not just at these verses, but at the context of why Jesus says these verses and why this tells us a lot about this part of the story from Matthew 10 to chapter 13. Before we begin, I want to ask you this question. Just take a moment to stop and reflect. What are you burdened by at the moment? What's the burden that you're carrying around today? What's the burden that's on your shoulders this week? What's that thing that's weighing down on you heavily at the moment? What's the thing that um, stopped you from being able to get to sleep straight away last night? Are there responsibilities that you feel that are weighing down on you and they feel really heavy? It, maybe there's a physical ailment that you're dealing with. Maybe there's um, some pain or some um, problem with your body that's, that's causing you worry It's causing you to feel weighed down. Maybe you're carrying someone else's problems at the moment. Maybe you're worried because of your kids or you're worried because of your parents or you're worried because of your friends and the problems that they're facing. Maybe you're under financial strain at the moment. Maybe your head's in a bad place. Maybe you're just in a dark place mentally and you can't seem to get out of it. Maybe there's someone in your life who's causing you pain and worry and that's the burden that you're carrying around. Someone at work, maybe someone at home who you have to deal with and they are difficult and maybe on a daily basis you have to wake up and deal with that burden. Maybe all of these disruptions with the last couple of weeks and with the lockdown and isolation, maybe there are a lot of burdens that you're carrying at the moment that you haven't had to carry before and they're unique and you're not sure how to deal with it. Or maybe you're just hurting because there are too many things on your plate and you can't even list the number of burdens you're carrying. It's just too many to count. But I would hazard a guess that there are very few people who are listening or watching who would say this morning that they don't have any burdens that they're carrying that they're, they're, they woke up this morning burden-free um, with a smile on their face and, and nothing at all to weigh them down. There are very few people who would say, I'm completely at rest. I'm completely comfortable. There's nothing happening in my life that I am not burdened by. Well, there's good news because Jesus cares. And Matthew is showing us, if you are burdened, If you feel weighed down, if you feel weary, if you turn to Jesus, there is rest waiting for you. So this morning, we're going to look at this quote that Jesus gives. And I want you to think about it, in, not just in an abstract term of Jesus came to relieve the burdens of first century Jews that were under Roman oppression and who were weighed down with all of the laws and the regulations that the Pharisees were binding on them. I don't want you to think about it in, in that abstract way. I want you to really think about it in terms of what, is, what are the burdens that you're feeling right now? What are the burdens that, that you just can't shake? And I want you to think about this passage in, with that in mind. First, I want us um, in this, this lesson, by the way, I've called this, the Lord of, uh, this lesson, The Lord of the Sabbath, and you'll find out um, exactly what that's referring to at the end of this lesson. The first thing I wanted us to look at is to understand the background behind this passage. Um, most of us growing up in the city, Uh, We need an agricultural education when we come to the words of Jesus because Jesus grew up in the country, in small towns. And so many of the phrases that he uses and many of the the kinds of language that he uses um, requires us to understand a a brief, um, uh, at least a a cursory understanding of farming terminology and, and farming concepts. So let's look at our definitions to start off with. The first definition you need to know is what a yoke is. A yoke, if you're unfamiliar, is this. It's a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to the plough or cart that they are to pull. In case those words don't mean much to you, um, you can perhaps see, if you're watching our live stream, the pictures that we have. So a yoke is something that you often put over an, an animal and it's to help to balance the load that they share. And uh, it's often used for things like ploughing so that they can, uh, uh, an ox or a, um, some type of beast might be able to carry something and carry a plough through a field. So when Jesus is talking about a yoke, he's talking about this. He's talking about something that is, that is set on your shoulders, like a burden, something that's put on you, something that you have to carry. All right, the, the next bit of background that we have to understand is that Jesus in this passage is actually referring to something in the Old Testament. Um, and I hadn't picked up on this before, but if we turn to Jeremiah chapter 5, Jesus is actually referring to a few passages back here and he's, he's quoting from some small um, passages that Jeremiah talked about. Jeremiah lives in a time where the city of Jerusalem has just, it's just gone to sinners and it's gone to people who are immoral and who don't care about the law. Um, and Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah five, verse one. It says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man who does one who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. God says, If just just run around Jerusalem. Just just Um, sprint around from house to house, from shop to shop, from park to park, run through the streets. I want you to try and find one person who does good. I want you to find one person who does justice so that I can forgive um, Jerusalem for all of the sins that are in her. And and Jeremiah is saying that there is no one, there is no one in this great city who is faithful and living according to the law. In verse 5, he says... I will go to the great, that's the leaders, that's the the people who are powerful and, and important. I will go to the great and I will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. You know, If I go to the leaders, they'll be following the Ten Commandments. They'll be following the law of Moses. They will be staying faithful to God. And he says this, But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. So in this illustration, um, Jeremiah is saying that the the law of God is like a yoke. It was something that they carried around with them. And they were meant to be carrying it through their lives. But instead they had broken the yoke. They'd burst the bonds of the law. And they were just walking around as if they were free people. And this is what he says in, in the next chapter, in chapter 6 and verse 16. This is when God is playing with the people to go back to the law and to put on that yoke again, to find that yoke of the law and to to, um, recommit to obeying God. In Jeremiah 6 and verse 16 it says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So God says, you've broken the yoke but go back put the yoke back on carry my yoke and you will find rest for your souls does that sound familiar of course that's what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 11 he's referring to a type of yoke that you carry that in carrying that yoke in carrying that thing on your shoulders you will find rest for your souls so Jesus, however, is not saying go back to the law of Moses. Jesus is not directing them to carry out the the law of Moses fastidiously to find rest for their souls. He's actually saying come to me, come to himself and we will find rest in him and in his um, laws for the kingdom. So to illustrate this, just in case you're not really following what we're going along with here, Matthew actually puts two stories right after this quote from Jesus. And these are stories about rest. They're stories about the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath, if you're familiar with it, is a a weekly religious festival that the Jews held. It goes from sunset on Friday night to sunset on Saturday night. And in that time, they were commanded to stop from their work and to find rest. So you would usually use this time to light some candles. You would have a feast. You would spend time with your family. You would stop from the the daily chores and tasks that needed to be done. And you would remember God and the good things that he had done to you. The Sabbath was a blessing from God. It wasn't wasn't meant to be a, a harsh thing that they had to keep. It wasn't meant to be this um, fastidious legalistic bond um, that they were bound to, that they had to keep and had to bear up under. The Sabbath was meant to be a good thing. It was meant to be a time when God's people were given rest because God had compassion and mercy on them. So these stories in Matthew chapter 12, immediately following our passage today in Matthew 11, these stories are about the Sabbath. And so they're about rest and who does true rest belong to let's look at um, the story story number one is in matthew 12 verses 1 through 8 so immediately after jesus talking about rest and talking about him being the the source of true rest he gives a story in matthew 12 let's read verse 1 At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So the story is laid out very simply to us. Jesus, with some of his disciples behind him, is probably somewhere around Capernaum, probably somewhere around his hometown. He's walked out into the grain field and he is walking through the grain and he's plucking off heads of grain so that they can eat for that day. So in verse two, it says, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So why did they say this? Why did the Pharisees say it's not lawful to pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath? Is it written in the law of Moses that you're not allowed to pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath? No, it's it's not there at all. So how do you know what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath? Well, the Old Testament is fairly vague on that. It doesn't give you all of the specifics on exactly what kinds of activities constitute work and what kinds of activities constitute rest. So the Pharisees and the the Jewish leaders wanted to have a, a standard of what was rest and what was work. And so sure enough, they wrote down a big list They wrote down a big list of everything that you could and couldn't do. They wrote down a list of all of the activities that were defined as work. They came up with 39 categories. You can read this in the Mishnah Shabbat uh, chapter 7 and verse 2. You can read um, through all of the uh, prescribed work activities that were disallowed on the Sabbath. I'll give you some of them. You couldn't... Uh, be involved in sowing, ploughing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, baking, shearing wool, bleaching wool, dyeing wool, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, dividing two threads, tying and untying threads, sewing two stitches, tearing in order to sew two stitches, capturing a deer, killing a deer, writing more than one letter, uh, building, tearing down, extinguishing, kindling, striking with a hammer, Carrying something from one area to a different area. So you could carry something from one area to the same area, perhaps from one area in a room to the same uh, as as long as you stayed in the room. But you couldn't carry something from one domain to another domain, whatever that means. You also had restrictions on how far you could walk. So they're limited to 2,000 cubits, which works out to be about 900 metres. That's the maximum you're allowed to walk on a Sabbath day. Now, when you're having your Sabbath rest, you're a first century Jew, you're living in Capernaum, and it's the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees are out there with their binoculars um, spying on everything that you're doing, and you have to remember, I can only sew one stitch today, I can't sew two because that's working, and I've taken 1,827 steps, so I've got to be careful how many more steps I do today. for fear of getting caught and for violating the principle i have to be careful about carrying things you know i can carry something within one room but i can't take it from one domain to a different domain do you think when god gave the sabbath as a rest for people that this was his intention Do you think that this was his intention that they spend the whole day worrying about exactly what they were allowed to do and exactly what kinds of activities they were not allowed to do Of course not. God gave them the Sabbath out of his love and compassion. He wanted to show them that when they put their trust in him, they could have rest. They could um, have this time of refocusing and of um, not being worried or burdened or stressed. And then the Pharisees come along. And they take the Sabbath, a good thing, and they turn it into an evil thing. They turn it into this fastidious legalistic um, procedure where you have to follow these exact laws to get it right. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Otherwise, you'll you'll be shot down. Otherwise, they'll come and find you and accuse you of breaking God's law. No wonder Jesus is so upset about the Pharisees for binding heavy burdens on people. If you turn to Matthew chapter 23 with me. Matthew 23, he's rebuking the Pharisees all through this chapter. And in verse 4, it says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Do you think Jesus might have the Sabbath in mind? He might have all of these specific laws and regulations and traditions that the Pharisees had invented that were not a joy to people and were not easy to people, but they were such a heavy burden on people that the people couldn't even bear it themselves. So the Pharisees see Jesus' disciples plucking grain. And if you noticed on the list, plucking grain is one of the 39 no-nos. It was one of the things that you're not allowed to do. So in verses 3 and 4 of uh, Matthew chapter 12... And this is where the story goes. Jesus says to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it, is, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And this is another clear, concise, easy answer that we all read and, and we nod our heads and say, well, that makes sense. Of course, that makes sense. No, this is confusing and strange, isn't it? What's he talking about here? He's talking about David and showbread and he's referencing some strange thing. So why does he reference uh, King David here? And why is this an answer to the Pharisees' accusation? He appeals to King David eating a loaf of bread that he wasn't supposed to. And what Jesus is not doing here is he's not saying, well, David broke the law, so I can do it too. Instead, he's saying, This was a law, a national law um, for the country. And David was king, and as king, he had authority over those laws. So, when it comes to the Sabbath, who has authority to make the rules on what happens and what doesn't happen on the Sabbath? Is it the Pharisees who have the authority to decide what happens? Or is it perhaps God Himself? Is it perhaps the Creator? Of the Sabbath, Jesus gives another illustration in the next verse, in verse five. Or well, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Another crystal clear <laughs> teaching of Jesus. No, another confusing analogy that that makes us shake our heads and, and wonder what's he talking about. Jesus is saying the priests are meant to keep the Sabbath, but the priests in the temple in Jerusalem. Every Sabbath, they still have to make the sacrifices and they still have to take out the, the bread and they have to light the incense and all of those different things. So they have to do work on the Sabbath. So how come they're allowed to violate the Sabbath? And again, it's because of their authority. It's because they're in a position of authority. The point of both of these illustrations with David the king and with the priests in the temple is Jesus is saying there are some people who have authority on deciding what gets to happen on the Sabbath. And there are other people who don't have authority. And guess which type Jesus thinks he belongs to. And guess which type he thinks the Pharisees belong to. Well, in case you can't guess, um, read verse 6 and and see if that gives you any hints. He says in Matthew 12, verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. You know, if the priests can profane the Sabbath because of the temple... And something even greater than the temple is here, that shows that there's a new authority in town and and there's a different rule on what gets to happen on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is saying, I have the authority to determine what's appropriate and what's inappropriate on the Sabbath. You can't tell me how I am to rest. I'm the creator of the rest. I'm the originator of the rest. And that's what he says in verses seven and eight. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's quite an offensive thing to say to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to the people who claim to know the law. Jesus says, if you actually knew the law, if you knew what Hosea was saying there when he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have made this elementary mistake. And he closes with this line and it's, and it's a great mic drop moment. It's such a power play. He says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Just to, just to finish it off, just to... Um, Really stick it to them. You try and tell me what to do on the Sabbath, on my Sabbath that I created, on the Sabbath that I gave to you for rest, and you're trying to turn it back on me and telling me that I can't pluck heads of grain in a field? Who do you think you are? And there's a second story here. And this one's a bit shorter and a bit more to the point. It's in verses 9 through 14. And the story is this. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. Who's the there? It's the Pharisees. He entered the synagogue that was the Pharisees. He went into their house, took the confrontation right into their living room, so to speak. And verse 10, and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And guess what? The Pharisees had rules and and arguments and debates on whether you were allowed to administer medical practices on the Sabbath most of them concluded you weren't able to heal people, you weren't able to give someone medicine or or give them treatment unless, two exceptions, unless it was life-threatening or unless it was uh, someone giving birth. They said any other healing of any kind, any other medicine that you give to someone, any other taking care of someone has to wait until the following day. (laughs) Is this really what God intended when he gave the Sabbath to people so that they could experience rest and so that they could feel the compassion and comfort of God? Absolutely not. He says to them in verse 11 and 12, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, (laughs) Guess what? The Pharisees had rules on whether or not you could help a sheep that had fallen into a hole. And, and you can go back and you can read their rules on whether or not you can help your sheep who's fallen into a ditch on the Sabbath. And some of them said, no, you can't help your sheep. Um, you have to leave it in there till the following day. Others said you can't help it out, but you can throw things in there so that it can climb out. And others said you can throw food in there so that it can eat for the day and then you can help it the next day. Talk about missing the point. In verse 12, Jesus says, Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he says, stop getting into this ridiculous legalistic mindset where you're trying to make rules about every single movement that people can make. This is a holiday that God gave you because he loves you and he wants you to be comforted and he wants you to find rest. And instead you're trying to manipulate it and turn it into this awful thing that people are bound to and are weighed down by. And he says, forget healing and, and questions of whether you can pluck grain. It's good. It, it, it's lawful to do good things on the Sabbath. Full stop. In verse 13 and 14. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other But the Pharisees uh, went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. And that leads us on to the rest of the story, the Pharisees going out, conspiring how to destroy him. The Pharisees were so obsessed with these legalistic demands that they'd set up, with these traditions that they had imposed on people. They couldn't even see when there was a man who was hurting in front of them. They couldn't even see that there was a man with a withered hand someone living with a disability in first century Capernaum, probably struggling to make ends meet, probably struggling to put food on the table, probably having all sorts of effects for his life. And they couldn't see the burden that they were putting on him. All they saw was an opportunity to catch Jesus out. The Sabbath is about mercy. The Sabbath is about having compassion and care. And the Pharisees have instead turned it into a burden on people. Here's our our main point for this lesson. Jesus is not trying to put burdens on you. (laughs) Jesus is searching for the weary and the burdened, and to them he offers true rest. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll remove all your burdens. There is still going to be a yoke that you'll have to carry. There is still going to be a, a sense of responsibility on your shoulders. But there will be rest. Jesus wants to comfort you and take things off and lighten that load. And the church is here to help lighten that load too, to help with the work of Christ. Augustine of Hippo, he said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. There are many people in our congregation, many people who are listening to this who are weary and burdened, people who have had a tough week, people who have a lot on their shoulders at the moment. And I'm sure that there are many who are craving some kind of rest and relief. I just want to close this lesson by praying for you right now and praying for strength in your difficulty. Even if your Christian family isn't there in your living room to give you a hug um, and to try and share that burden, we do care about you and um, we do want to share these burdens. And most of all, the Lord of the Sabbath is here the King of rest, the creator of rest, he is here to give you rest for your weary and burdened soul now and to offer you eternal rest in the life to come. Let's just um, pray and then we'll close with a song. Um, Merciful Father, we love you, we adore you and we're thankful for the saving grace that you've shown in our lives. We recognise the compassion that Jesus had on the weary and the burdened and we ask that you will have the same compassion on all those especially those who are listening, who are weary and burdened. On behalf of everyone who's feeling tired and exhausted, we ask that they will find true rest in Jesus. And for everyone listening and watching, we pray that in all of their trials and their hardships, that they'll find peace in you. And above all, help us to fix our eyes on that eternal rest that awaits us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.